I'm Bunny Terry, and I'm joined by my co-host and producer, Johanna Medina. And this podcast that you're about to hear completely blew me away. It was a special gift to get to talk with Kim Hamer. Um, Sometimes people come to us through different channels, and Kim was one of those people that we hadn't been um, acquainted with before, but we were both intrigued because... She speaks to a topic that both Johanna and I are really, um, that, that, that's really near and dear to our heart. And that's basically how to deal with somebody who has cancer. I'm, I'm, I, I loved talking to her. What do you, what'd you think, Johanna? Yes, I know. I loved Kim too. I felt like she was kind of like a kindred spirit, you know, and she just, she just gets it. And I know that it, it's her job and she's an expert on, um, well, our listeners will learn more about it, but an expert on, uh, you know, what to say and what not to say and how to approach people that are going through, um, you know, a cancer diagnosis or someone in their family. Uh, but I just, I love talking to her and really this, episode has some, I mean, she's very practical. Like we love having those guests on that give great tips and things that our listeners can just walk away with and, and put into practice, uh, whether it's, you know, like a mindfulness technique or what to say to your coworker who was just diagnosed with cancer. But I think it's also beneficial for people, you know, whether it's cancer or some other hardship they're going through, if they just lost a loved one or, um, you know, another, another illness or, you know, your friend that's on maternity leave. Like if they need just really the message, I think she was trying to get across was like trying to make that connection with someone and not just, um, you know, giving the, the pat answer or, (laughs) um, but yeah, she's, I loved it. And I I agree with what you always say too, is that we could have just talked and talked with her for hours. So. Well, and she, um, I mean, she wrote that great book. It's very practical called 100 Acts of Love, A Girlfriend's Guide to Loving Your Friend Through Cancer or Loss. And I know that when I've talked to people, and I say this in the podcast, but when other people get in touch with me after they've read the book, they say, wow, I learned so much about ways that I can help somebody that I love because nobody in the world wants to hear from somebody they care about that they've been diagnosed with with cancer or that they've lost a loved one. And Kim is so good at saying, um, here's a really smart thing you can do to help someone. And I don't want to give it away, but she's all about coming from contribution. She understands the fears that we all have around those, those life issues. And she's just, she's fun to talk to. And I, um, we're going to, there's, there's obviously going to be a link to her book, um, here on the podcast, but I, I've ordered it already because for, for all of my blogging about what not to say to, um, a cancer patient, she's really good at proactive ways that surprising and practical proactive ways that you can help people in the tiniest ways. So I, this, this is going to go down, I think in, in our records is one of our favorite podcasts and certainly one of the most practical. Definitely. I I hope everybody enjoys it as much as we did. And I can't wait till we can get Kim back. Absolutely. So I'll just say to everybody, thanks for checking in. Thanks for downloading, for subscribing and for reviewing us because 
Our listenership is, is that a word? Whatever it is, it, we're, it's growing every week. We're um, more and more people are reaching out and saying that the things that our guests are saying are helping to change their lives for the better. So we're really glad you're here. Enjoy this conversation with Kim Hamer. I am so excited. I say this every time, don't I, Johanna? But but <laughs> I really, I mean, this is, it's crazy. It's crazy. So I actually had had a moment last week where I thought, man, this podcast, it takes so much time and it takes resources and energy and should we keep doing it? And then I saw our guest today. I saw Kim's bio and I thought, well, I got to talk to her. <laughs> Holy mackerel. This is um, Kim Hamer is a... She is a widow of somebody who had um, cancer, who did not survive. However, more important, well, it's not more importantly, I don't even want to place a value on any of that because it's so difficult to lose somebody. She's a mom of kids who were small when she lost her husband, but she is a, um, a consultant, a writer, somebody who is, thank the Lord teaching people <laughs> how to navigate the difficulty of having a friend or a loved one or somebody you care about or an employee who is going through a cancer experience or a loss experience. And I, Kim, you didn't know this because we've never met each other before this moment, but you didn't know this, but I sometimes write blog posts about what not to say to cancer patients because mm. people feel so powerless. I don't want to assign anything other than they feel fearful. They feel powerless. They feel really um, and, and vulnerable too about what they should say and the things that they should do for the people they care about who find themselves in this horrific situation. And you just took the bull by the horns and started <laughs> writing and talking about it. And I'm like, thank you so much. So I, I'm going to shut up for a minute and let you tell us your story and how you got to this place first. Because I think stories save us and it's really important for us to hear yours. Well, thank you so much, Bunny. I really appreciate being here. And um, I'm glad you didn't stop podcasting last week. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, so my story feels, um, you know, it's, it's so funny. It's, it's, my husband's been dead for 13 years. And so it feels sometimes very distant and then sometimes it feels really close. So, um, my husband was a runner. We were an organic kind of eaten family. And, uh, one day he came home and he said, I just, he, you know, he said, I'm just having, oh, we, I'm sorry, we went on vacation. He was running these mild fevers and he would get this cough. And so we were giving him Delsum cough syrup and ibuprofen because that's what you do when you have mild fever, right? And you're on vacation and you can't, you, you know, you know, you're not going to lay low. And then he came back and he was, he was running a lot at that time. And he said, I'm gonna, he was going out for a six mile run and he came back like in 20 minutes. I'm like, if that's how fast you're running the six miles, we need to sign you up to the marathon, you know, to like to professional runner. It's like just having, you know, trouble breathing. And so I did what every good wife does, which is, oh, we'll just take some of my asthma medicine. So, so we started, <laughs> you know, so, not go to the doctor. It's just here, let me give you some drugs. Um, so he took some asthma medicine, didn't help. A week later, he said, I think I really need to go to the doctor. And 
Um, he called, we had a primary care. He called the primary care. She said, you know, go to an infectious disease doctor. It sounds like your kids picked up something that you have and you just can't shake it. And he, Kim, when he can said, I ask, yes, how, how old was he? At that point he was 40. Okay. He was 40 years old. Yeah. And you know, it was at that moment, we both kind of like, I said to him, can I go with you? Right when he was ready to ask me to go with him. Like we had this little inkling that something wasn't right. And it was in that doctor's office. It was like a scene out of the movies, you know, with the exception of we were in an exam room and the doctor put his, you know, after doing a series of exams, you know, had, you know, we put his fingers intertwined together, rested them on the exam table. My husband and I were on the other side and he said, look, it looks like you have cancer. I cannot confirm it until we do a biopsy. And that's the reason you can't breathe because it was all over. He had these nodules all over his lungs. And he said, we cannot, it was a Friday. And he said, we cannot wait to Monday to get these tests done. I'm going to send you to a specialist today. Wow. And that was like, exactly, exactly. We made three phone calls. We called his parents, we called my parents and we called his boss. Um, and so we went through the whirlwind of kind of like, yup, it is cancer. It's stage four, you know, you need to like take action now type of thing. There's no kind of like, let me get a second or third opinion, because honestly that might have killed him. Um, we went headlong in and the first thing I noticed is people kept saying, if you need anything, let me know. And at first that sounded so helpful because it was like everyone was coming out of the woodwork. Now, keep in mind, we had lived in all different parts of the country. So we had friends all over the country and people were calling and leaving us voice messages and saying, hey, we love you. If you need anything, let us know. If you need anything, let us know. Within a couple of weeks, I realized how deeply unhelpful that was. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, so he got disentangled from cancer because I believe that cancer is not a battle as much as it is an entanglement and everyone's entangled in it on different, different ways and different levels. And also you think of Christmas tree lights, right? And they're kind of like all strung together and they're tangled up. And then you get this line that's straight and you're like, yes, I've got it. And then there's like a knot at the other <laughs> yeah. side. And so, <laughs> so that's really what cancer felt like to me. Um, so he disentangled himself in spring, 2007, we started to rebuild our lives and, you know, we were cancer muggles at that point. I mean, we, we considered ourselves like there's right. levels of cancer muggleness, right? <laughs> if you've never had cancer, don't know anyone with cancer, you're a serious cancer muggle. But we thought that when you were finished with cancer treatment, like life went back to normal. And that's not what happened. There was a lot of side effects from the drugs that he had taken that took him months to get over. There's this for for weeks, we would lie in bed and look at each other and go, oh my God, what the hell just happened? Like what just happened to us? So there's all that stuff. We're getting, starting to get our feet back underneath us. We're, you know, the, the tests keep coming back clear, 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 clear. So we, you know, the fear in us, you know, decreases. And then uh, less than two years later, you know, it came back. He wasn't feeling well. He was losing weight, but neither of us really noticed. Um, he lost a lot of weight. And then one night right after New Year's, he said, I, I, really having trouble breathing again. So he went back to the hospital. He had a blood clot because he'd been sitting so long over Christmas break. And when they took an x-ray, they found the blood clot. They saw the nodules were back. They weren't sure whether they were old ones or new ones, did a biopsy. And it was a cancer again and the same kind of cancer. And four months later, he died and he died at the age of 44. Um, 
So that's sort of my story. Um, but what happened during this period of time was I noticed how we lost good friends. Some, you know, people you, you've had the experience, Bunny, people yes. you expect to show up, do not show up. And other people come in who you're like, kind of like, Hey, I don't know you that well, but they're like, that's okay. I'm going to help you do X, Y, and Z. And they come into your life. And I also noticed that, you know, so many people didn't know what to say or what to do. So after my husband died, a couple years afterwards, I, I had kept a blog throughout this whole time and I'd started kind of telling people, hey, this is what we need. Can you do this? Please stop saying this. Um, and, and then I realized I needed to write a book. And I joke that I wrote, wrote it for myself because I would not have known what to do for me if I had been my friend. I would have been that person who said, if you need anything, let me know repeatedly and then wondered why I never got the call telling me what to do. So um, I really wanted to give people, look, there's a ton of stuff out there for people with cancer and not that it's not enough, but there's a ton of stuff out there. But if one in, two, one in three people are going to get cancer before we die, what are the other two people going to do to support their friend? And so I wrote the book and started this journey on helping everyone understand how we as human beings can be really helpful and supportive um, when people have cancer, because it's, you know, I'm not here because I'm super strong or courageous. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not thriving because of those things. I am thriving because at the foundation, people showed up for us and did these small little acts of kindness that helped myself, my husband and our children get through the most horrific experience of, of our, of our personal lives. So I, so Kim, I want to tell you that, um, I first want to say, I hope that this is not the only time you can be on the podcast because we can't cover everything in one recording, <laughs> but um, I, I, just for our listeners, I want to quote a few things that you, that I've read that you said. And first of all, I want people to know the name of the book, which is, uh, it's a great name. And it's so, I love it. It's a hundred acts, 100 acts of love. A Girlfriend's Guide to Loving Your Friend Through Cancer or Loss. And it is, a, a you know, it's it's one of the easiest books to pick up and read. I mean, it's just each page or each two-page spread has something different that you can do for someone. And on occasion, it has something not to do, if I'm correct. Right. I haven't yes, got my ebook yet, but I've looked at what you've said <laughs> otherwise. But one of you, one of, one of the things you said, and this is in that, post. I'm going to make myself cry here, but it's in the post mm -hmm. that you did about the guy who came to your son's birthday party and then wrote thank you notes to everyone yes. for the gift. And, and you didn't expect him to do that. And you didn't ask him to do that. But he says, I saw this newly single woman who hardly knew how to celebrate her child's birthday. And yes. you also said that your son had said, I really want dad to not be sick on my birthday. I, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch in that Instagram yes. post that, that got me in my heart, in my soul. But you said helping your coworker, friend, or employee with cancer isn't about the grand gesture. Your job is not to relieve them of their journey. It's to smooth the road a little bit. And, and then there was this other thing that I want to tell our listeners about before you go a little deeper, which was your friend who took you out to buy you two 
what she called them post dad yes. outfits. Post, and I thought, yes, yes, yes. How yes, no loving go. and kind for her to say, uh, it's time for you to get some different clothes. It's time for us. I mean, it, it, and you, yeah. and you also said, I believe the momentary discomfort one feels when they are not trying to fix someone's feelings is worth the long-term goal of honoring somebody's pain. And I think that's, people have a really tough time with pain. It's, it's almost like they want to say, let me do, let me, let me do some, let me put some huge bandaid on this. And then I'm going to step away for a long time. Cause I'm, I don't know what to do to honor your pain. That's my experience. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank Thank you so much for reading those because those, those are people, you know, both those parents were, um, pa those, both those people were parents at the school that two of my children were at. And, um, yeah, that, Rob, um, who, who did the thank you notes. And it was really funny because I saw him. The reason I remembered it, because you forget all these things. I was walking down the street and he was sitting at a restaurant that I walk by all the time. And he was there and we looked at each other. And I was like, oh, hey. And then I walked away and I, and I remembered what he did. And it was, it was, and that's what I meant by, like I'm here, not because of the big grand gestures. I think sometimes we think we have to like show up. I have to go grocery shopping for you for the next six weeks. It's like, you don't, you know, you can just call me next time you have the grocery store and say, open up your cabinet and what five things are you almost out of? Right. And then you plop those five things down at the front door and you wave from the car as you're driving by, as you're driving away. Right. right? right. So it's, it's, it's these little, th and, they, and it, sometimes I think sometimes we think that we have to do these big grand gestures so that we can heal someone's someone's pain but i think you're right you know we forget that our job is not to do that and being in pain is an important part being uncomfortable is an important part of understanding that you're expanding you're learning and you're doing something new um and um yeah it's just i think yeah. Yeah. I, thank you for that. I just, I love that memory. I remember my friend, you know, I, I was actually in my closet the other day wondering if I had one of those out, any, any piece of those outfits left. And I don't think I do because it's been, you know, 12 years, 13 years. But um, yeah, I think one of the things I really want people to know is how important they are to the person who's dealing with cancer. And I think that we for, like we all get in our own little world and we get really busy and we get on social media and we think we're not good enough or, you know, smart enough, pretty enough, short enough, I mean, tall enough, you know, clear faced enough, whatever it is, right? We're not enough. And we spend our time in there when we all want to belong, we all want to connect. And that connecting and that belonging is as simple as calling up someone and saying, I'm going to bring you chicken or lasagna for Thursday night dinner. Which one would you want? right? That connection is not about diving into someone's life and getting all in there. That connection is about doing that simple little thing, that one thing that may be a little bit of a stretch for you, but that you know will support and help the other person. Or you hope, sometimes you don't know, but even just taking that action. And that's where the power lies, you know, um, the title of your show, you know, about gratitude, you find that space of when, when you get into, when you just do that one simple thing for that person, that's where the gratitude comes from. That's where you're like, wow, I have a really, I, I, and this is something I always talk about, don't say this, but right now I feel really grateful that this is not happening to me. 
Um, and I do want to say the flip side of that. <laughs> we talk about that for a second. Please do not use your friend's life as a measuring stick. Like you can use it, but don't share it with them. Please don't say, wow, how bad your life is. Makes me feel really how good, how good my life is. Like you're going to think that and that's okay. That's normal, but that is not an okay thing to say because your friend does not want to be that measuring stick for you. That's, that's, you know, that's not, doesn't make them feel very good. That reminds me of when mom was sick and, you know, what I've heard this other places too, or books or other people saying it, you know, um, people don't want to talk to you just about like the everyday mundane things because they're afraid, like, it's not important enough because you're going through cancer. Yeah. And so we can only talk about you and your cancer and what you're going through because that's like the worst thing. And so my life really you know, isn't, isn't as bad as yours. So I'm not going to just talk about, you know, the bad yes, hair day. Yes. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had a, um, so I had one friend who used to call me every Wednesday morning this after my husband died and she would leave me a joke, joke on my answering. This is how old long ago it was, right? We had answering machines. Um, and she would leave me a joke on my answering machine and she purposely called, like I was getting the kids ready for school. I couldn't listen to it. And it was sometimes in the very beginning, it was the only time during the day that I laughed. You know, it was such a mundane, stupid thing for her to do. And it was absolutely fantastic. Um, I had another, my cousin lives on a 90 acre ranch. She had, at this point, she had eight, 80 head of sheep, you know, coyotes and wolves, not wolves, coyotes picking these puppies off every now and then. And she told the, she would, she would just regale my husband and I with these hysterical stories about the ranch. And we kids, the kids and I, who we'd been, we'd been up there all the, you know, all these years. Um, and she told a funniest story about how she was painting the garage bedroom and she left a paint you know, the lid on the floor and in walks a baby sheep and she's a baby lamb. And she's like, oh, how cute. And then the baby lamb proceeds to walk on the paint can. And then she's like, oh my God, stop walking. But then she wants to pick the baby lamb up, but she accidentally like kind of falls. The baby lamb gets freaked out, runs, can't find the door. So runs around the floor of the department of the apartment and then escapes. So these little lamp <laughs> footprints are all over the apartment floor, you know, but those kind of normal everyday stories are so important because you're right. People kind of feel like, Oh my gosh, we have to talk about your cancer. You know what? When your coworker is, is, is missing really meeting an, an important meeting that someone's that some, that one person who, you know, it's like, you can say, guess who said this? Da, 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 da. And they go, Oh my God, I know exactly who said that. Their cancer is their cancer. They are in their cancer all yeah. the time. You're a caregiver. You know, Johanna, you're a caregiver all the time. You don't need to talk about it all the time. Sometimes it's really great to talk about the stupid person who did that silly thing the other day that you think is absolutely hysterical mm -hmm. or the joke or the baby lamb who comes into the yeah. apartment. Um, so I think that's really important. I can go ahead. No, I, I just, I, I was really curious about what, when you're, I mean, you do this for companies, you go in and, and do an entire program on how they can best take care of their employees. But I'm curious, what do you tell people? I mean, this is nuts and bolts stuff, but when somebody says, oh my God, I just found out I have cancer. What do you tell people? I, I, I mean, I have some ideas, but I'd love to hear it. Cause you're, I mean, 
you're you're writing the book on this, so I want to hear what you say because that's the nuts and bolts. I mean, when you hear it, what what's the best thing to say? So I think what I think you and I are probably going to agree on this. I think the first thing that usually comes out of our mouths is, "Oh my God, if you need anything, let me know." Like we want to kind of go into action, right? And I did allude to this earlier. There are three reasons that that statement's not helpful. One is because what is anything? Mm. Like really, what is anything? You know, anything. Right. Is Are you going to so... pay my mortgage for six months? Exactly. Are you going to pick up my snot nose throwing up toddler from preschool? Like, what is? Or did you mean you get me a gallon of milk? Like, what is anything? So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is. When you say anything, you are asking the person who is already way stressed out to break down their day and to find one small piece of anything that you might be able to do. Their head is full of cotton. I often say they're, you know, I, you know, both of you were probably not, you know, you may have looked like you had 52 decks, 52 cards in the deck, but you did not. You know, you didn't know how many cards you were missing any given moment. It could be 10, it could be 20, it could be one. Um, so, so you're asking this person who's already stressed out to break down their day. And let's just say that they do, right? Let's just say that they figure the one thing that they're willing that they need help with. Then you are asking them, they're vulnerable, they're terrified, they've got so many things that are going on in their lives, to ask you to do the anything that they're not really sure that you want to do and risk rejection, right? Now, on top of it all, like, there were so many times I needed gas in the car. I mean, I, you know, I remember boiling water and then realizing I'm out of pasta. And that's happened to probably a lot of mothers. And people were offering to help, but I felt so silly calling someone and going, remember that anything you said that I need, that you do? So here's what I need. I need pasta like right now. And, you know, I wasn't, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't reach out to someone and say that. So that's why that phrase is so deeply not helpful um, I think another phrase that people often say is, I mean, one, one of the best things I've heard people say is, oh my God, I don't know what to say. Because that speechlessness, that moment of taking the pause of, I've just gotten really difficult news about someone who I care about and like, and I need a moment. That's that mindfulness we're all trying to go after, right? I need a moment is so powerful because what you're doing when you say that to somebody is you're saying, I see you. I see the pain and the suffering that you may have to go through or whatever. And I am speechless, mm -hmm. right? That's so powerful. Um, something else not to say, the at least. Well, at least it's this, at least, you know, at least, at least you caught this, at least you didn't do that. At least it's a good kind of cancer, which I, which I, please don't ever say that to it, anyone. It's a good kind of cancer. It could be worse. Mm -hmm. They love to say it. It could be worse. You don't it could be worse. Yes. Like, yeah. no. Yes. You don't look sick. Yes. It could be worse. All those phrases, everything, be strong. You know, you got this. Stay positive. In those tones with the, with that meaning, what you're doing is you're just, you're not connecting, right? Because you're stepping back from their, their cancer. Because it's scary. If they get sick randomly, that means I can get sick randomly. And that's a hard thing to acknowledge. So, so what you're doing with those phrases, you are stepping back. You're like, it's almost like you're pushing the person back. 
and you're trying to turn it into something good. And also sometimes you're just trying to say that one thing that you're going to drop that beautiful bomb and then you're going to walk away because staying positive, I agree, it's important. But if you're going to drop the bomb on me and be like, okay, stay positive and then walk away, what's the point? It's better if you say, you know, I do these morning affirmations. Would you like to do them with me every morning? I'll call you up and we'll do, or I'll read them. I'll, you know, don't answer, don't pick up and I'll leave them on your voicemail. So there are so many, you know, when you're going to help somebody, you actually have to help them. You, you have to get into it. Um, but all those phrases and the millions that come from that all come from our fear of connecting with the person who's dealing with this difficulty. Cause y'all, I mean, I'm terrified of getting cancer. I am terrified of getting cancer. I saw someone I love get cancer and die, you know? And when my friends call me and tell me they have cancer, my heart falls out. And I literally sometimes just want to hang up on them and pretend they didn't call. You know? I know. But, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, my job, but you know, that's, that's not my job as a friend or as a coworker. My job is to kind of lean in and to, say, I'm sorry, and I hear you, and I'm with you. Yeah. Um, I think one other thing I want to say is please don't do the, I'm sure you guys will totally relate to this. <gasps> How are you? <laughs> so you get the big, so what, what, what your listeners can't see is I'm doing the shoulder pat, the, the shoulder rub and pat. So you get these big puppy eyes, and they go, oh, my gosh, how are you? And they expect you to to dump your hardship on them right here. And then like, it's like, really yeah. just don't. I love the question. How are you right now? Cause I can say, That's and then the pause and wait for me to answer. Don't be like, Hey, how are you? You know, how are you right now? How are you today? How did you do yesterday? Those are all great questions, but don't come at us with the big puppy eyes and the, cause it's pity. And the last thing we want when we're going through this is pity. We want encouragement, we want support, but most of all, which is something we all want, we all want to be seen and witnessed. We all want to be counted. And that's this is an opportunity when someone you care about is dealing with a life-threatening disease like cancer, it's an opportunity to say, I care about you. Thank you for being my friend. You know? I would say- you put it so well. Yeah. I just think everything you're saying is like, I remember being in that place and feeling that way. So. so, I mean, it's so important. And I think the cool thing about Johanna and I doing this together is that she has that caregiver's perspective and she knows how difficult I, I mean, I was like the worst patient. I was the, would you go get me some queso? And she'd bring it right. from the restaurant. She'd bring it home and I'd be like, you always say that. that. And I don't think, I don't remember potatoes. it that way. <laughs> but <laughs> and so, I, so there's this, you, the two of you have this caregiver perspective and, and you got to watch all that cringeworthy stuff. I would say that another thing I want to say to people, and I, and, and I'm sure you ran into this, Kim, there are a lot of people who sort of latch on to like your cancer and kind of want to co-opt it and, and be, you know, they're not even your close friend. I mean, if you're not close to somebody, I would say, Stop acting like you're the spokesperson or the, I don't, I don't know. You don't, it's hard not to want to grab somebody's misfortune and say, oh, I know all about it. Let me tell you what's going on with them. And I, and I wanted to say to people who hadn't been yes. in contact with me for years, 
I'm not sure why you just showed up, but I, I mean, I appreciate your thoughtfulness. Well, I, think... I don't have time for a lot of this. <laughs> Is yes. That, is that cruel? Am I am I being ugly? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think what happens is there's definitely a level of resentment. You know, it's like you didn't call me for the last 10 years. Now I have cancer. Now you want to call me. But at the same time, what happens, the flip side of that is some people do call you because it's like, oh, my God, it's gossip. And did you hear that Bunny has cancer and she's going to be doing this? And, oh right. God, she's for. And I don't know if she's going to live. And we'll, we'll have to watch the Facebook page, see what happens. Um, so there's that side of it. But, <laughs> but then there's the other side of it, which is, gosh, you know, I really liked Bunny. She was really funny and she made me laugh. And the fact that she has cancer makes me feel sad. And I've been, I just, it's so funny because I thought about her last year and I didn't reach out and I should have reached out. And this feels like it's a really bad reason to reach out, but I'm going to reach out to her. So I think there are two camps of people who do that, right? And and you do. And, and, and figuring out which one is which sometimes takes a little bit of time. Um, it takes about actually about five minutes of a conversation. So, you know, if you are that, that, if you are that person who you've heard someone you don't know, you haven't, you haven't talked to in a long time, who you have a fond memory of, call them, tell them, you know what, your cancer made me remember that you did this. Remember the time we did that in high school? Remember when we worked together and I just, I just always enjoyed your company because that's, that's the food for the soul. That's the seeing that's, that's the good stuff. If you're in there, if you want to call up and go, my best friend's uncle's neighbor's brother had colon cancer and he survived twice. Like, yeah, don't be that person. Um, and, and that's another thing not to say. I know people mean well by telling us cancer stories, but honest to God, we do not need another cancer story. Like, oh, and, no, you know, no, especially no, no. if it's your neighbor's uncle's brother's son. You know, <laughs> I remember someone telling me that so-and-so's neighbor's brother's son had cancer twice and they beat it. We were going through cancer the first time. The idea that we might have to go through a second time was like, stop talking now, please. <laughs> I know. Well, I, so I want to hear about, I mean, we could, we really could talk about this for a long time because it's so, you know, like, don't give advice, don't give medical advice if you're not the doctor, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. there are a million things we could say. What I'd really like to hear about is how you made this move. And I think it's incredibly important to be somebody who helps employers and teams help their employees who find themselves in this position because wow i i mean i read so some of your cool. blog posts and i thought how important it is so it is it's so cool i was self-employed but i'm on all these cancer forums i mean you know i'm in all these johanna calls them my cancer click i'm in all this all these right. groups <laughs> of people who are still working for a living and it's like how do you as an employer or as a coworker, I'm curious first how you got to that, and then how that how that works. Well, I had to go back to work um, after my husband died. There was very little insurance money, um, and so I had to go back to work. And I went. I eventually wound up back in the HR field, which is what I was in. My I was a stay at home mom when my husband was diagnosed and after he died. Um, so I was doing, I was in the HR world prior to, um, 
um, us having to our second child. And of course, I end up in a position where the husband, who's the president of this company, his wife has cancer. And then the wife dies and I watch the company lose their mind. They have no idea what to say. They're like, let's get them food. I'm like, the last thing Phil needs, the last thing this person needs right now is food. Trust me. Like, you know, and, and of no course we went to, his, exactly. No more. <laughs> Can I just tell you my kids on the second month that my husband died, they literally said no more lasagna, mom, like no more lasagna because everyone bought us lasagna and you never knew what kind of lasagna it was going to be, whether it was going to be good tasting lasagna or bad tasting lasagna. And the kids were like, we're done. Like we are done no more. And they sit, they literally refuse to eat it because of lasagnas. Um, so <laughs> a little side note. Um, so I, I tried to help them. I tried to say, Hey, look, this is what he's going to be like when he comes back to work, you know, cause he would lose his temper. He would get short sighted. He would cry at his desk. You know, I said, these are all perfectly normal reactions. This is how I suggest you approach it at this time in this way. Um, you know, I had to talk to his boss who was the head of the whole company. Um, cause it was a, a company from a different country and say, hey, these are some things you need to know. You know, this is what's going on in his brain. It's going to, you know, he looks fine, but it's going to take him months to recover. And and really more than that, but months to run, kind of be a, an efficient employee. Um, and that's when I realized, oh my gosh, no one knows what to say or what to do. And I went on to another position and, you know, there was someone else with cancer and they were, again, people who were, you know, the manager didn't know how to have a conversation with the, with the employee who had cancer. And as a result, the team fell apart. I mean, it was just amazing. This is a, a key player on the team. The team fell apart because the manager couldn't have the conversation. The employee didn't really know what the heck was going on, didn't know what he, you know, what he was trying to do, didn't know what was happening to his life. The team was all trying to gather around and support him, but they, you know, they, they did so on a personal level, but they couldn't figure out how to do it at work. HR was useless in this organization. And so that's when I really wanted to focus on, you know, I'm in HR, I love business, I have a business acumen, and I know that, you know, in a perfect world, nobody gets sick, but we don't live in a perfect world. Um, the other thing that I think people forget is 46% of those diagnosed with cancer between the ages of 25 and 60, or between the ages of 25 and 64, prime working years. Yeah. So I often say this to people, if you have not worked with someone, if you're in the corporate world and you've got a job, if you have not worked with someone with cancer, it's only a matter of time, right? It's only a matter of time. And people are so ill-equipped. We're not, you know, middle management is usually the one that gets stuck in the middle. They don't have the coaches, the executive coaches helping them. They're trying to get this done and they feel horrendous because they have the, their, their thought is, oh my gosh, you have cancer. That's horrible. And then, oh my gosh, how am I going to make this month's numbers? And that thought about this month's numbers makes them feel really guilty. Like I'm a horrible person when it actually, it's a normal reaction because they do have to think about this month's numbers and they also need to show some type of compassion. And those two can go together, but it's not as intuitive as we all, as, as we'd hope it would be. Well, I mean, Johanna's, I, I know you were going to make a comment about it because it's. Uh, no, I was say I was just thinking how important that is, what important work that is. And then I was also thinking, 
Wow, that's so true. And I've never thought about it that way, the age range and how, I mean, we do talk a lot about how cancer is probably going to touch everybody's life at some point, but we usually think about it as your family or friends. We don't, I haven't considered, you know, it could be at the workplace. And then I was thinking, wow, I used to work in an office with six people. It was so tiny and two people had cancer. So, I mean, just the, yeah. the odds there. And um I mean, we're, we're all social workers, so <laughs> hopefully we handled it okay. But, yeah. but yeah, you're right. No, I think we, we still could have used some training on that. And everybody, everybody should, um, because that's, I mean, I feel like that's going to be life changing to just know, you know, you spend what, two thirds of your life in the office at work. And so those people around yeah. you are, you know, the impact they can make is, is huge. The other piece of that is that we, what we know now is that um, cancer, especially colon cancer that I know of, is that it's affecting more and more young people every year. So if the numbers are what you say they are right now, it's only going to be more. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to be a naysayer, but that's just the truth in the medical community that that more and more people that you know who are in the workforce are going to have cancer. Exactly. Or they're going to suffer loss. Yeah. I mean, this applies even even to somebody who maybe doesn't have cancer but has, you know, suffered some sort of hor horrific loss. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, um, why isn't this mandatory training? <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it you know, let's say and you know, an employee is hospitalized. You know, and they're out for three months. Um, what does that do to the team? Well, how do you have those conversations? And a lot of teams will white knuckle it and they'll get through it. But then when that employee comes back in, they, everyone, including the employee, often expect it'll just be back to normal. And it takes time to recover from being in the hospital for three months. I also think that we forget that there's been a lot of advancement with cancer treatments. And so employees aren't leaving the workforce. They are staying and being treated while they're working. So that's another side of it that we don't think about. You know, there's the, am I a private person or am I, you know, there's a, I have, there's um, integrators and um, oh, shoot, I forget the name. I have a whole post on it, which I love because there are people who are in the workforce who are integrators. They're the ones who have family photos up, you know, you know, they had a fight with their spouse the night before because they come in, we'll tell you all about it. Um, and then there are those who are very private. They might have one family photo in their office. Their, their work keys are separate from their home keys. They don't often share about what's happening. How those two people react to a cancer diagnosis is very different. And so, you know, there's not a one size fits all. It really depends on the team, the culture. Does the team have a really strong you know, connection culture or is the team sort of like, you know, a team about competition because that affects how you talk about it. So there's so many different variables here that we often don't think about, um, which to me is an incredible lost opportunity for an organization. And especially now with today's with with the low numbers of, you know, with the, with the difficulty of finding the right employee for your organization. Right. So it has impact there. It has huge impact on your productivity, whether you see it immediately. Like if you're in sales, you can see it immediately. If you're, you know, in on the, in the IT end, you may not see it so quickly. It has huge impact on, you know, on the numbers of your revenue and huge impact on the compassion and your and how your company is seen 
by your employees and how long they stay at your organization. And so I think the, the people just haven't thought that through. They just don't understand the ramifications of what you say and do and how you treat an employee with cancer. People are watching. You know, your employees are watching and they are all judging. There's not a single employee that's like, oh, yeah, they're, you know, who's not thinking they should be doing it better or they're doing a great job. Right. They're all watching. And as soon as companies understand that, then that's when they'll start to take it seriously. And it's also part of the whole well-being push and mental health that we have now in this country, um, because, you know, talk about being under stress because your coworker has cancer and you're not sure what kind of work you're supposed to be doing and you've already got a lot of work and you've got something going on in your home life. I mean, you know, if you can have some clear guidelines at work about what you're supposed to be doing, about how you're going to, about how this person is doing, that just decreases the amount of stress you have. And that, that, you know, that's mental health right there. So that I could talk about, I could obviously talk about this all day long, but I could go into details on that one. Um, but yeah, I think companies just don't think about it. And the reality is companies are having to pick up the slack. They are having to start to take care of their employees and making sure that they're financially healthy and mentally healthy. It's just the way the, or the, way the world is moving now. And this is a big piece of it. Well, I saw that you, I mean, you'll go into the company. I mean, you'll meet with the employee, you meet with the managers, you go through several steps. And I just, I think, uh, you know, I, what a what a valuable service and what and you're the perfect person to do oh that. thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I, so so we're we're almost to the end of what we can talk about but i'd love to come back and talk a little more about that employee employer piece and the team piece but i would i would also love as a gift to our listeners for you to read a couple of your 100, 100 action sure. lines. I think it's so cool. I, I, it's, it's, they're so, they're so much fun and they're so smart. And, and I expect you to have them memorized. <laughs> well, I'd love to. That's so, that's so sweet. I, I, and I, and I want to tell you just this cool thing that happened to us. And we'll send you a copy of my book so that you can read it. But Johanna and I, early on in my diagnosis, went to a dinner that these women that I was in a Bible study group had for us. And we had no expectations other than we kind of dreaded it because it was like a week after my diagnosis. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be so hard. And at the end of the meal, and I... It, and our listeners can't tell, but I'm like, my eyes are watery because I've wanted to cry the entire time during this interview <laughs> because it's so, this is so dear to my heart. But at the end, um, uh, the woman who was hosting the dinner said, oh, and by the way, we put together a little something for you to take home. And every one of these women had made homemade soup and put it in the freezer and they loaded us up with like, I don't know, Johanna was like a dozen, 15 little containers of soup. Yeah. It reminded me that of that picture you have on your website of your husband with all the Tupperware. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it, it wasn't quite that many, but we had soup for months and months. And it was something you could just pull out when you didn't have anything else or you know, yep, yep. didn't know what to do. And it was also very thoughtful for colon cancer because I'm sure that the whole thing with food and, you know, having foods that had to be digested were, were like kind of off the table. In, a, in some ways. So yeah, that was so, that's so sweet. I love, I tell you, one of the things I do love about 
doing what I do is I get to hear all these incredible stories, you know, because people do look, you don't have to know what to do. Just do something. That's yeah, what just, like you would have, she would have people like, you know, a friend or a family member come be like, I'm going to come organize your closet. Or I'm going to come yes. mop your floor, yep. you know, yep. yeah, <laughs> just little things. And where you don't feel like you have to spend a lot of energy with them either, you know, like I'm going to sit and have a, a two hour conversation with you. No, you go rest and do it or do whatever you need to do. And I'm going to do this thing for you. So you don't have to think about it. That's the most helpful. Exactly. Exactly. My husband was with a woman before me who had, oh, no. who had colon cancer as well. And he said the best thing that somebody did for them was that they just showed up. They just showed up at the end on the day that she got disconnected from her infusion and, and left food. Yes. No conversation, no nothing. And then somebody else said, you know, the best thing anybody ever did for me was that they just, they had a time they would come by, they had a key, they would come in, get the dog, take the dog for a walk. No conversation, stuff like Mm -hmm. that is big, but you, you share Mm -hmm. with our folks because it's just, this is so important. It's so good for both the person who's doing it and the, and the recipient. Well, I, you know, it's so funny because I, on my, on my Instagram feed, I'm reading a chapter a week or that. one act of love a week. Yes. Yes. And the one I'm going to read right now has to do with the food um, because it was one of the things that I had not thought of the first time that my husband was sick, but the second time someone suggested it and it was a lifesaver. And it's act of love number 37, put a cooler by the front door for meal deliveries. Admitting you need help is hard. Allowing people to help is harder still. Making sure you're at home to receive the help can feel impossible. Help her accept the food she needs by putting a cooler at the front door. She won't have to be home and she won't have to put on a happy face when she doesn't feel like it or answer the well-meaning but dreaded question, how are you? If needed, be sure to add a few ice packs to keep things cool. And then a little side note, it says, we didn't do this until Art's second bout with cancer. It was one of the most helpful suggestions we got. And after he died, it was a sanity saver for there were many days, especially early on, when I could not face anyone but my closest friends. So I think um, the other thing too about this book, I designed it so I'm not a reader. I mean, I love reading, but when I'm reading for information, I love bullet points, underlined, big bold, like, tell me what you want me to know. What are the three big things that are really important in this chapter? That's what I want. So I wrote this in a way that you could just open it up and be like, oh my gosh, this is like, uh, fill her car with gas is another, is another tip in here. So it's fill her car. I can do that. You put the book down, you go out, you do your thing. And then maybe you come back a week later and you pick the book up and you try to find something else. So that's not tip number 37. The book is also organized within categories. So we have food help. We have car help. We have help with kids. We have help at work. We have, um, how to be a human being, not a human doing, um, holiday and birthday help. So the next tip I want to read is from, um, it's actually from this, it's from the different chapter, which is how to help around the house. And I love this. This is act of love. Number 48 stock her bathroom, stock your girlfriend's bathroom closet with toilet paper, toothpaste, body soap, and tampons, toothbrushes, dental floss, shampoo, and conditioner. Then put your name and number on a piece of paper and tape it to the inside of the closet or cabinet where she keeps the supplies. If you're willing to purchase more. 
While this won't necessarily ensure that your girlfriend avoids the pants at the ankle waddle to grab a fresh roll of toilet paper, she'll at least know there's a roll to grab. So, um, you know, we don't think about that. I, I run through an exercise and I ask people to go through their day. Like when you get out of bed, what's the first thing you do? You put your feet on the floor. What's the second thing you do? Some people look at their phone. Has your phone bill been paid? Right? Some people go to the bathroom. Is there toilet paper in the bathroom? Is there soap to wash your hands with? Is there a clean towel? So just in those four things I just mentioned, you can help them do, you can get either have a laundry service and do their laundry, or you can go over and do the laundry for them. You can make sure that they've got toothpaste and, and stuff for the bathroom. You can make sure their phone bill and their electric bill has been paid, right? So it, it's, it's these little things. I do want to say this note about helping with um, paying with money. It is highly embarrassing. You know, most of the time a, a cancer crisis is part of, it incurs a financial crisis. And it, and, you know, we all feel like we should have, should have, would have, could have, right? We should have saved more money, should have done whatever, whatever it is. One of the best gifts you can give to someone um, short of paying a bill is just to give them cash and to give them cash through a third person who's going to swear secrecy because it's very hard to give cash to someone because they're going to push it away and be like, no, 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 I'm fine. But if like, if Johanna, if Bunny gave money to Johanna to give me cash and, and I, you, you'd be like, I, I can't take this back because this isn't from me. So you have to take it. And I'd be like, who gave it to you? I'm not going to tell you, you just have to take it. So it's really helpful to do that. Um, I want to leave with this story. I kept a blog when my husband was sick both times. And this woman, I got one day in the mail, I got this little envelope and I opened it up and it was this little card. And she said, I've been watching your story. I don't know what to do or how to help you, but here's $10. I know it's not a lot, but it's really, you know, I just hope that it'll help you with something. It was one of the most meaningful $10 I've ever gotten in my whole entire life. Was it a lot of money? No, but she, in her taking that action, she was saying to me, I see you, I hear you, you, your journey with your husband really matters. And that helped me find the courage and the strength to continue doing what I was doing. So those small little actions you take are the thing that really matters. We're all crying now. I made, I made Bunny cry. Again, again, no, that's because I think, Kim, I'm just... And I'm just thinking about, you know, I would get a car, a little mimeograph sheet of paper every couple of weeks from some little church in eastern New Mexico. And it would say, we just want you to know that we were praying for you on Wednesday night. And there would be like seven signatures because those are so tiny. And I would think that's so yeah. important. Those people don't even know. But that's what you're saying is that just do something doesn't have to be huge. Just and huge. so like yeah. exactly what you said, it's think, not, it's not that, you know, that $10, you know, financially made a big difference, but in, in your will to keep going and your, you know, your drive and gave you a little, like just gave you that little nudge that you needed. That is priceless. So it's so well put. Yeah. And I want people to, I want people to know they matter. You know, you, you can be that little nudge for that person who's going through their crisis. 
um, you know, you little person sitting in that office feeling like, you know, you don't know that person with cancer very well. You stop by with a hot cup of coffee and say, you know, I don't even know if you drink coffee, but I just want you to have this because warm stuff makes me feel good. And I hope that it makes you feel good. Wow. And you go on your way. So it's, it's, I really want people to know that, you know, their action really matters. They matter and they can make a difference. I love it. Kim, I can't tell you enough how <laughs> grateful I am that you were our guest today. Wow. It's what a gift. Oh. Will you come back? Well, thank you. Oh, I'd love to come back. I would love to continue this conversation. And I love, you know, I love talking to caregivers and people with cancer because, you know, we have that. I, I tell my kids, my kids find people who are, who have hearts that are damaged in similar ways. And that's not a bad thing. You find your tribes that way. Right. And so my kids often, my kids, good, most of my kids, really good friends either have had a, a father who's not around um, or have suffered some type of loss in their lives. And, um, so I loved hanging out with you because we're the same. We have the similar, our hearts are similarly dented mm -hmm. and we have, you know, and we have a message to carry. And then there's also this heaviness and this sadness of like, I can't believe this was part of our lives. I just kind of instilled every now and then I wake up and I go, I cannot believe I'm never going to see you in the form that I was used to seeing you. I can't believe that I'm forgetting what your voice, you know, it's just kind of like, really? Like, really? Did that really, you know, I'm sure, Bunny, you kind of go, wait, wait, what? Did that really just happen? Did that really happen? You know, and Johanna, you too. So there's, there's, um, okay, I'm blabbing on. You can cut that part out. No, no, I love, I, I, no, <laughs> it's, 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 it's really I felt important. the same way when we but were talking we'll, to you, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep going on. But yeah, just thinking, oh, wow, like she really gets it. And it's just having that, uh, just another person, even if it's someone you're never going to see in person, like, wow, it's just having that conversation and feeling that yeah. connection. I, I love it. I'm so glad we met you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Podmatch. Yes. <laughs> Hashtag Podmatch. Right? Well, we'll definitely invite you back on and, and go into more about your business too and, and how things are going. And uh, we'll definitely link your book and your website and hopefully, you know, people can get in touch with you. Well, I'd like to invite all your guests to download five phrases never to say to anyone with cancer and what to say. And I actually go through, no, no, I don't leave you hanging with the five <laughs> phrases never to say. I do give you five phrases to say. Speaking of which, don't say if you need anything, let me know. Be specific on what you can do. It doesn't matter. Just be specific and ask and, and offer more than once. Um, so that's my very last final tip, but you can go to 100actsoflove.com. That's the number 100 and actsoflove.com backslash what not to say. Very simple. What not to say, no capitalize, no spaces, what not to say. And you can get your free download of five phrases never to say, why you shouldn't say them and what to say instead. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you, Kim. <laughs> That's all we've got today, friends. I want to thank you for joining the Life Saving Gratitude podcast with your host, Bunny Terry, that's me, and my producer and assistant, Johanna Medina. 
We feel like we're in the business of sharing the stories that save us, and we hope you'll share as well by letting your friends and family know about the podcast. Follow and like us wherever you listen, and please take the time to leave a review. Whether it's a stellar comment or a suggestion, we are open to suggestions all the time. Also, follow us on Instagram at LifesavingGratitudePod. You can also follow me personally at Bunny Terry Santa Fe. You can sign up at my website at BunnyTerry.com to receive weekly emails about how to become the ultimate gratitude nerd. Thanks so much for checking in.